Cosmos Science. News, magazine, podcasts, video and features. Welcome to Cosmos Country, where our reporters talk about dealing with climate change in rural and regional Australia. There are a multitude of ways in which we can reduce emissions from cattle. We are introducing a massive fire risk. Our first species released beyond the fence on the sanctuary was brush-tailed possum, and they've done really well, which is incredibly exciting. The ocean is vast, the issues are complex, but there's so much love for it. That's a really interesting question. It's the pressing question of the green energy transition. What do we do with our excess sunlight? When darkness falls, solar farms stop producing. Then it's up to wind or coal and gas. Sunlight can be pumped into batteries, but they're expensive and they degrade. Sunlight can push water uphill for hydroelectricity generation if you have the hills and water. Sunlight can break water into hydrogen, but that's explosive, corrosive and bulky. Or sunlight can be converted into heat. And believe it or not, that can be canned. From there on, it's the oldest of industrial age technologies, steam-driven generators. My fellow Cosmos Country reporter Jamie Seidel has been looking at what it takes for rural and regional industries to decarbonise while keeping the light on at night. Hello, Jamie. Hello, Reid. Well, like everything else involved in our struggle to prevent the uh, terrible fires and floods we've been seeing in the recent years, there's no silver bullet. There seems to be very little alternative to hydrogen for heavy industry, and batteries seem best suited for smaller, more mobile tasks. But there's an awful lot that sits in between. There's an awful lot of manufacturing and processing going on in country towns. And guess what? That sits in between. Many of these, of course, need to keep going at night. Dominic Zahl is director of the CSIRO's Australian Solar Thermal Research Institute. Mr. Zahl, what is solar thermal? Thank you. Lovely to talk to you about Jamie and Marie. So solar thermal is literally um, the conversion of solar energy into heat. It's as simple as that. So normally people think about solar as being PV, where you basically convert that, that, that sunlight into electricity. But solar thermal is just capturing that thermal energy from the sun, and there's lots and lots of it, and just storing it as heat. And we can store that heat from temperatures up to 3,500 degrees Celsius and right down to 50 degrees Celsius. So the ability to concentrate that sunlight and store it as heat is really the essence of what solar thermal is. So what's going on inside the process? So we know batteries are very complicated things with various degrees of chemical reactions going on under the hood. And it's that process which creates crystals, which creates batteries, which causes batteries to generally degrade. How do you can heat and what goes on under the hood there? Solar thermal has, it's, it's it's basically the process of storing heat. So how do you do that? So as a child, you would have had a magnifying glass where you probably burnt some holes in some leaves and, and made little little things, messages on paper. And it's the same concept. So you take mirrors and you concentrate the sunlight and then and that and you can concentrate that sunlight normally around the world that most of the systems are operating in that sort of 400 to, to 600 degrees Celsius range where they concentrate that, that light, they store that light and then capture that light and store that as thermal energy. So you then focus that light and you normally have a, a bar um, which has got either steam or salt in it 
where you actually use mirrors to actually point those mirrors at a tower and then you you heat up what they normally is some sort of what they call heat transfer fluid. Typically salt is what they use for, for most power generation systems. And you heat that salt up to four, five, six hundred degrees. Then you store that salt. It's you store it in big tanks. And that salt is then used just like a coal-fired power station to create steam. But instead of burning coal, you're using that thermal energy that you capture from the sun to run through exactly the same process. So that's for electricity. And so, and those systems, um, we have none in Australia, but there's about 120 operational systems around the world that are currently converting that sunlight into thermal energy storage and then running it through your standard steam turbine to produce 100% green electricity at night. I think it's quite fascinating in this era where we're looking at so many different technologies that we're going back to something with such a long history. Is it about turning flywheels? as if it was back when it was first invented, back in 1712? So basically steam is about it's about fluid dynamics and about pressure. So the reason, so a coal-fired power station moment takes coal, it pulverizes that coal, burns that coal to create steam, and that steam is then ran through, run through at pressure at about 560 degrees through a turbine, and that turbine spins round and round, and that's what gives you the power. So all of our power at night at the moment, all of our coal, is produced through steam turbines, large steam turbines um, that are just done through thermal energy. The process I talked about, concentrated solar thermal, is exactly the same thing, but no coal. So it's basically taking heat from the sun, you store it for 14, 15 hours in these tanks, and then you just run it through a steam turbine and you produce lots of power primarily at night. So it, it's, a, it's a nighttime system normally because in the day, PV does most of the heavy lifting for you, which is what you expect because it's the cheapest form of technology. But at night, once the PV stops running, you, you can store some in batteries, but batteries aren't designed to give you 12 to 15 hours of energy storage that you need to run overnight. So you need something else. And so that something else is normally pumped hydro if you've got water in mountains. But if you don't have water in mountains and you've got a very big country like Australia with lots of solar energy, a technology like concentrated salt thermal is exactly what you need. You can place it out there more in that sort of flat, dry, hot areas, very efficient, and you get lots of power at night, basically, just like a coal-fired power station, but as I said, no coal. One of the important things about solar thermal appears to be scalability because nuclear reactors do the same thing as coal. They generate heat, which creates steam, which drives the turbine, but you don't really see much in the way of small nuclear reactors. They've been talking about them for decades, but there seem to be problems with technology and cost to get them to operate at a smaller scale. Coal and gas power plants, we, I guess we do have smaller gas plants, don't we, in, running in larger regional communities. My understanding is that uh, with your thermal batteries, essentially, it's something that can apply to a, a, a regional community through to a larger di- district centre. How does that work? Is it a matter of the battery itself? the collector itself, or is it a combination of the two? So it's a combination of um, actually three things. So firstly, you need something to capture the sunlight. So whether it's heliostats mirrors or whether it's parabolic troughs, so you need to capture it, you need to store it, and then you need to use that stored heat either for processes or for electricity. So it's a function of how much electricity you need. So that's the, the steam turbine. So you can, the reason they're traditionally been very big is because you get more efficiency from big turbines and you get greater sort of, you're like, you've got a lot of coal, it's centralized. And so the idea is to make them very big to produce lots of power because that lowers the cost to consumers. But with my technology, concentrated solar power, you can have a smaller system 
and it just depends on the storage and how you actually capture that sunlight. So there's a company in Australia, it's called Bath Solar. Um, they're building a 30 megawatt system now in Port Augusta. They've just been given federal government funding to do that. It's a scalable modular type of system. So it's got, it's got miniature towers. And so if you wanted to have one for a small town of three to 5,000 people, you could have one scaled for them. If you wanted to have it for a town for 100, 200,000 people, you could scale it for that size as well. So it's completely scalable. It's just a function of land because you, you, if you want to capture heat, you need more land as you want more heat and more power. But it's just, it's fully scalable, modular, and it just depends on what you want it for. Understand also that when it comes to the heat battery, for want of a better yep. word, storage, just storage system, that you can also just power them with a normal element. Correct. And therefore, if you've got excess sunlight, which we've been getting in South Australia of recent times, where there's, there's more sunlight being turned into electricity through rooftop PV cells than we can actually use, we're having to start to turn off the, those, that grid. So if we have these units scattered around the countryside, making hay while the sun shines, what it brings on new meaning. Yep. And you're absolutely right. So, so one of the challenges we have around this whole energy transition is that we tend to think about it in terms of technologies as opposed to the system outcome. And so concentrated solar thermal is really a great way to store thermal energy, as I said, which you can then use to create power or even heat for industry. Now, how you create that thermal energy, whether you use mirrors, whether you use a resistance heater with PV, whether you use wind excess wind, it doesn't matter. It's still thermal energy. And traditionally, you know, 10 years ago, it was all about just mirrors and we only want to use mirrors. But now most people around the world who are building these systems are building them with PV and with excess wind. And what they're doing is creating the best of both worlds. They're saying, I've got PV or wind that can generate wind at any time of day, but at PV during the day. And then I can provide that directly to the grid. I can put some in batteries, but I can also put some in my salt tank to give me even more thermal energy. So, so the biggest system that we have in the world, you know, we just had the latest COP and that was in Dubai. And Dubai have got a system where we took a whole bunch of Australians out there as well. And that system is three 200 megawatt CSP farms with a 200 megawatt PV farm plus another 100 megawatts of CSP. And that system powers half a million houses. So one whole system powers half a million households. So you think about that. That's Newcastle, fully powered by renewables 24-7. So that system gives you 24-7 power. So it can be scalable, but at the same time, it can be, be as I said, much smaller. But, but you're absolutely right. You don't have to. There are different ways to charge and store energy thermally, and you can use any of those. And so we would argue that hybrid systems where you try to integrate PV, wind, CSP is the best way to do it because you get the best of everything. You get an optimized system, lowest cost for consumers, which is ultimately what it's about, reliability and cost. Is it practical to use this system for solar farms that are already in operation? Yes and no. So the solar farms that are in operation at the moment are primarily PV farms that feed during the day, which is why in Australia we have very, very now low daytime prices for many times of the year. In South Australia, you go negative during the day in summer, also in Queensland, and so those farms are really designed to, to feed a particular market, which is just saturate that daytime that market, get very, very low daytime costs. So if you wanted to put CSP, you could. It's a nighttime system. But the reason why we don't see many of these systems being deployed in Australia is because the need isn't there yet. So we all know we have to go to 100% renewable, but at the moment, we've still got coal in the mix, which is meeting most of our needs at night. That's going to all get go in about 10 years. And so what will, what will replace coal is potentially gas. So you'll end up with gas peakers. 
that gives you that sort of night time. And they'll work with some batteries as well. So you have PV with about two to four hours of battery storage, and then you'll have gas. And then you have to work out, well, what do you then do after gas? And this is where a technology like CSP comes in. But at the moment, the reason why it's not happening, Marie, is because you don't need it yet. You, you, you've still got coal and gas in the mix. It's still keeping the lights on at night. Now, this will change. Um, electric vehicles will fundamentally change the energy profile. Australians who buy these vehicles will charge at night. I've just ordered my first electric vehicle. And so I know all about nighttime charging and learning about it. So as people change the way they do business, they operate, you know, wanting to charge vehicles at night, as businesses move away from gas to electrification to create heat, you're going to see a, a different profile. And so we're going to need a lot more energy, particularly at night. And so we really need to get ahead around what this looks like. And these hybrid systems where you're using all of the resources available to us are the way to go. PV, wind, CSP, pumped hydro, all integrated together to give you the best, lowest cost outcome for, for all Australians. You're listening to Cosmos Country. I'm Glenn Morrison, regular presenter based in Alice Springs and Bantua on Aranda Country. I fell in love with Australia's red heart in the late 90s and never left. Now I'm thrilled to help tell the stories of regional Australians as we all prepare for the challenges of climate change ahead. Going beyond the city limits to find bush innovations, clever ideas, Indigenous know-how. That's Cosmos Country. I'm fascinated by the on-the-ground prototype that you've got running with Mars Pet Care in Wodonga. That brings it right down to the scale of a individual industry. That's- and I'm sure that a lot of industries would be quite keen to know that they can basically have their own power plant in a shipping container in their yard. Um, of course, it's not quite that simple. You need the you need the, the power source. It sort of takes out that whole worry about is the are the power lines going to blow down tomorrow? It seems to simplify the equation of being able to ensure that you've got your own power in your own providing your own meeting your own needs. To me, regional Australia is the big winner here when it comes to the renewable energy transition because you know you you've got a, the old system was where you generate lots of power centrally and you push it out. And Australia's got one of the weakest, thinnest, longest power networks in the world. And we push it out. And as you get further and further out, your regional bills will know that as you get to the, the end of a very skinny line, you get dropouts and it becomes unreliable. And, you know, and, you know, you, 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 know, you, you lose power, you know, at eight o'clock at night. And so you get these brownouts. And so this sort of renewable systems that we're talking about fundamentally fix that because it creates the generation closer to the end use, but it uses things that regional Australia has lots of, which is sun, lots of land, um, you know, um, employment. So it creates jobs, it, it creates activities as well. So for regional Australia, it's very, very good. Now, Mars is one of these cases where what Mars is doing is Mars is looking at trying to go to 100% net zero. This is Mars Pet Care Wodonga. So, so they, um, they're a company like people know what Mars is because Mars produced Milky Ways and Snickers and Mars Bar and M&Ms. Everyone knows that. But Mars also produced most of our dog foods, also in Australian factories. And in Wodonga, what they're trying to do is go to 100% renewables. So they're, they're, at the moment, most of their energy use is thermal energy. So basically, they use gas to produce a lot of steam. And so what they're doing is putting in, looking at different technologies and integrate those to completely get rid of their gas. So they're, they're aiming to be almost 100% gas-free by the end of 2025. So they're going to go from using a large amount of gas to no gas purely and actually by taking those renewable inputs, storing them thermally, and using that thermal energy to create steam that allows them to operate 24-7. So 
They've taken the energy in as heat, creating steam 24-7. And so that's what Mars is doing. They're also looking at some behind-the-meter systems as well, some PV, you know, in a paddock around about one and a half, two kilometers away to also help to meet most of their daytime needs and to really negate all of this issue around price shock, um, energy stocks, you know, system closing down because they'll be almost fully self-sufficient and reliant and they certainly won't be creating any emissions, which is what Mars is really focused on trying to achieve. Net zero is their, is their mandate and they're very committed to doing that both in Australia, they've got five factories in Australia, but also across the world where they've got 120 factories around the world. They're also showing that this can be a cost-effective solution. It depends on how you define cost-effective. So many companies we deal with, they want to pay back within two to three years. And when it comes to, to, to renewable energy, if you really want to go down this sort of high energy, renewable energy fraction, I took to be 100% net zero, you can't get a payback three to four years. So, so, so let me just explain that, unpack that. So the cheapest form of renewable energy is putting some PV panels on your roof, right? It's cheap. It's got a payback of two, three years. It's a very smart thing to do because you've got control of your own power. But then you say, okay, so that gives me my power during the day, but then what do I do in the evenings? And so you go, oh, I need to add batteries. So batteries then increases the cost significantly, and you need to add a few more panels as well because you've got to fill up those batteries as well as meet your daytime needs. Then people go, oh, well, wait a sec. Now I've done my evening. How am I going to get through the entire night? And how am I going to get through the next morning? And then how am I going to wait until the sun comes up? So again, you, you it becomes more and more costly. The higher the amount of renewable energy you want to have in, you know, for your factory, the more expensive it gets. The cheapest one to displace, you know, are the first 20, 30%. But as you try to go more and more renewable energy, it gets more and more expensive over time. And so Mars have taken a longer term view that says, we, it's a privately owned company. The Mars, the Mars family have said, we want to be 100% net zero by 2040. And we understand that this is about the benefit to the planet. We understand that this is a longer term view. And we're not after a four or five year payback. We're after something that allows us to decarbonize and allows us to get to where we want to get to. And as long as we believe these factories will be operating, you know, in 10, 15 years, the payback's there. So, so they take a much longer term strategic view. They, they look at carbon pricing and, and what that means to them. They look at the way they're perceived by the community in terms of taking a leadership role in sustainability. And so, so they take a much longer strategic view, which is why my, you know, ASTRI and CSIRO do a lot of work with Mars and, and, and support them both in Australia and, and globally because they're, they're a leader. They want to take a leadership role. They want to demonstrate how it can be done. And, you know, you often get companies say, oh, we can't do it. And we point them to Mars, say, you can do it. You just need to take a longer term view, more strategic view, and it can be done. It, it's hard, but it's not impossible. The technologies exist. It's just about will and it's about commitment to get you there. And we're now seeing a lot of companies who are in those sort of, you know, big sort of, you know, um, urban locations saying, I'm going to move out to the regions because I've got more land, lower cost, but I've also got ability to put some power infrastructure down, i.e. some PV or some solar thermal or something down. And that mitigates my energy price shock risk, but also lowers my costs. And so we're now seeing a migration out to the regions, which is great for the regions, um, which is great for jobs. Um, which is great for those companies as well. And so we're starting to see um, companies do that. And that's great for, for Australia. And I think that's, that's as I said, great for regional centres as well. One thing that seems to be consistent with this um, discussion is that solar thermal storage seems vastly more simpler than any of those other options. Making 
biodiesel sounds complicated as does hydrogen. Okay, it might be relatively easy to run an electrode through water to create to split the uh, split it into hydrogen and oxygen, but once you've got that, you've got to compress it somehow, store it somehow, transport it somehow. Is that impression correct, or is keeping the heat in a can harder than it sounds? No, no. It, storing heat is easy. I mean, the, the Greeks used to do it. You know, they had thermal baths. So they're doing it for two thousand years. So, so storing heat is easy. People who tell me it's not, I go, did you have a hot shower this morning? Because if you had a hot shower, there's a pretty good chance that you, you, you've stored energy thermally somewhere. So the technologies exist, and the technologies exist to store heat up to whatever temperature you really want. So, so when I say whatever you want, thousands of degrees. So, so the technology exists, and you can, you can capture that heat, you can store that heat, and, and the technology around storing it, managing it, keeping it going is not that difficult. The challenge is always about how you then take that stored heat and integrate it into a process. And that's always the challenge. So for Mars, for instance, they have a gas burner that they create steam. And for us, for the Mars system, which was basically a box, it was a, 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 it's a box from a company called Graphite Energy. Um, it's basically graphite that's in a box and that, that graphite is heated up to 600, 650 degrees. And then we use that to create steam. For Mars, it wasn't the system that caused them any concern. It was to say, how can you guarantee that you can integrate that renewable steam into my existing steam line to create no impact upon the way I produce? So, so the system, the graphite energy system, can actually be deployed into a company within two weeks, two, three weeks, and deploy it. But it took six months with Mars, not because, but for no other reason than Mars wanted to absolutely be 100% sure that the integration would be seamless. And the day it went live, no one in the factory knew. So that's how seamless it was. They integrated into, right up into the front process, it used the existing distribution system so no one knew. And so the day it was turned on, no one in the factory actually knew, which is what you wanted. And Mars has been very happy with it. So, so it's not the technology or the ability to store heat or energy that's the challenge. It's the, it's the integration and the cost of that integration. Because at the end of the day, companies will say, I want to be renewable, I want to be sustainable, but I can't have a system that that can impact upon my ability to produce so many cans of dog food or so many Mars bars a day because it's all about market share. And if the Mars bars aren't on the shelves, then people go and buy the competitors' chocolates and if they happen to like them more, then they'll lose sales. So production is really important and reliability and sustainability is very important. So it's getting the right balance between technology, cost and reliability and with thermal energy, we've done that. So it's absolutely can be done. The technology risk is very low, but at the moment, it's really about gas prices. And so ultimately, gas has been around for a long time. It's pretty cheap, though the prices are going up. And so it's just getting to a point where you compete with gas. We think that point is already here. We see gas prices rising significantly. If you just look at the energy system with coal exiting, the only thing that can really replace coal at night sort of in the short term is gas. So that will put further price pressures on gas. You know, we also think that our near neighbours, you know, the countries around us who have all got these 20, 30 targets, they struggle. So they'll close down their coal fire power station um, sooner as well. So there'll be a dem- an increased demand for Australian gas there. So so we expect gas prices in Australia to continue to go up and, you know, and we expect to see them well into the $20, $30 a gigajoule range within the next five years. And at that price, these you know, thermal energy storage systems either charge directly from the sun or charge with electricity 
are going to be very cost effective. And we're already seeing that now in a number of circumstances. So, so if industry is interested in decarbonizing, getting off their gas in a smart way, you know, my team at Astri, we, we do a lot of work with industry on using the thermal energy storage systems. And at the moment, you know, we, we're fairly low cost. It's, you know, we, our, our mandate is to help industries to decarbonize, to, to understand what the options are. And, and we see these batteries as being significant. And, and we think the market around the world will be for, you know, millions of these sort of thermal energy storage batteries within about 10 years. Australia's got some great companies who are world leading in this technology, whether it's Graphite Energy or MGA Thermal or 1414, some great companies who are doing these thermal batteries. The challenges around integration and getting companies over the line. So, so people often say, Dominic, what are you doing here? I, I'm not an engineer. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a technologist. I'm not a researcher. I'm a psychologist. I'm organizational psychologist. Why? Because the challenge isn't the technology. The challenge is getting companies to think about things differently. Communities do things differently, regions to do things differently. I'm about to head to Shepparton shortly to look at a regional strategy to say, how can we, how, how can Shepparton as a region try to, to, to capture and use renewable energy resources better in terms of electricity and steam? How do we do that from a regional area, grouping industries together, households together? So, so there is this interest there, but it is this psychology around it's different. I'm not sure about it. And so how do you get companies over that loop? So, so my journey with Mars has been four years. Four years working with a great company to get them from where they are to to almost about to go and introduce systems that will take them to 100% net zero. But, but it's a struggle, right? Because it's just getting the balance right and, and people just need to think about it differently. What I do say to people is you do not have a choice. Climate change is happening. You can argue that point or not, but climate change I think is real and people understand that. We have to decarbonize our energy system and, and we have to look at how we do it in the smartest, most cost-effective, most pragmatic way. We have to get rid of gas. I, I, you know, I've got lots of friends who work in the oil and gas sector, but at the end of the day, they are creating emissions. They are creating problems for the planet. So we need to get rid of them. It will happen. And the question is, at what time, at what pace, and how do you do that? Do you do it fast? Do you do it slow? Do you do it medium? And, and our job at Astri and Syro is to make sure that pace is commensurate with the cost, the risks, and the reliability. And so that's what we do. It's that balancing Shawshank rejection, chip, chip away. We'll get there in the end, but it might take us a few years. Well, I think we're out of time and that means we have to turn off the lights here at Cosmos. Thanks very much to the CSIRO's Dominic Zahl. If you want to hear more about what's going on behind the scenes to help Australia's country towns, agriculture and industry to address the challenges of climate change, just search Cosmos magazine and Greenlight. Until next time, that's Cosmos Country. Cosmos Country.